Presented by Kamiuk Ukulele Magazine, this is Ukulele Stories. Hello, my name is Cameron Murray and welcome to episode 2 of Ukulele Stories. In this installment, I chat with the fantastic Mick Conway. Something of an Australian music legend, Mick first found success when he formed the Captain Matchbox Whoopi Band with his brother Jim in the late 1960s. In the 70s, he befriended late great Sydney artist Martin Sharp and played with Tiny Tim, which, as you'll hear, was an interesting experience. More recently, Mick has collaborated with brilliant Aussie uke player Azo Bell and will be known to younger listeners as the voice of the Wiggles Wags the Dog. He still gigs regularly as the leader of the National Junk Band, and I'm proud to call him a friend. In fact, back in 2011, Mick acted as the MC at the official launch of Kamuk Ukulele magazine, for which I'll always be grateful. This episode was recorded at Mick's home, so please excuse any background noise. I hope you enjoy it. Well, my first question is, do you remember your first encounter with the ukulele? Well, I, I remember hearing on old 78 records some Hawaiian bands and loving that. And then uh, in the early 70s, uh, when I was formed a little jug band, I wanted to play a stringed instrument. And uh, I was, uh, Mick Fleming, who was in my band, uh, got hold of a Martin Uke. So I was, started, started rather well there. <laughs> and he, he, so I bought this Uke. I was so really happy with it. And also he got, uh, I found a couple of days or a couple of months later, I got some Kamales or Kamales or I don't know mm-hmm. how you say it, but, yeah. um, so they were a little less precise in their tuning, but, <laughs> but, uh, but the Martin was great. And so were the Kamales. I just loved them. And I was just, I was from that moment in love with the Uke. Yeah. And but, so, so it was from those, old Hawaiian recordings and things that you... Yeah, I used... When I was a kid... When I was a child, I I used to go around to old... To school fates and op shops collecting old 78s with silly titles on them. But I also liked the Hawaiian things as well. So Mm. so, uh, the the uke thing, I just... And the the other beautiful thing that happened for me at the same time, or very early in the piece, I started learning just getting chord shapes out of a book... But I met, and he played with me and recorded with me, uh, Les Adams. Have you ever heard of him? I have, actually, yeah. Yeah, he had a Hawaiian band in the 60s. He had all these these vinyl recordings. He'd he'd gone over as a surfer to Hawaii and uh, and discovered the ukulele. And he was also very good at uh, lap steel and and Hawaiian steel and all that. He was very... A great player, and uh, he had these bands, Les Adams and his Hawaiians, even though he was as Aussie as you and me. Oh, no, you're not Aussie, but, uh, but you know, he, you know, he lived in St Kilda, and he used to go down to his flat and, yeah. and uh, learn learn strums and things off Les. Les, right. So that, that, was, that was my early beginnings in Uke. I, I, don't, I certainly wasn't his star pupil, that's for sure, <laughs> but uh, I just loved the Uke, and that just was got me going, you know. Mm-hmm. What happened to Liz? Do you know? Him? Uh, he he passed away, but I so I recall he was old when you were. He was pretty mature then. He was in. I mean, I was in my twenties, and he was in his sixties. Right. Then, so he lived there in a flat in St Kilda with his wife, and but he, we got him on on Matchbox. So I was in Captain Matchbox in those days, um, which was this sort of comedy band of the seventies, and uh, uh, we got him to play on one of our albums, um, and we did this this. Um, 
recording of a lullaby, which during the punk era, so we were completely against the grain of everything, um, which was called Sleep. anti-punk. Yeah, it was anti-punk, but I guess, but it wasn't. It was just, it was like, we wrote the song, it was like a 1920s or 30s sort of lullaby, sweet, it's got a sweet crooning tune. And uh, we got Les to play um, uh, Steel, it's like a Hawaiian Steel on it, as well as Uke on the recording of it and he was just great and it was just it was like when you the honour of you know, having your, your, your mentor or teacher come up and play on your record and all that and he was just he was just a lovely guy yeah, yeah. and so what about the apart from the sound that you what else did you like about it uh well I like the, the I like the rhythm things I I'm, I you know I, I've seen you play and you can pick out a melody and do marvelous things as well as ry- rhythm and melody, you know. Uh, but I like the rhythm playing, and uh, in fact, Les Adams. I love the one, the papal person who I loved his his rhythm playing was George Formby. Les Adams told me this incredible story. He saw he saw George Formby at the Palais in Melbourne. St Kilda yeah. in in. A, and I don't know whether the 40s or 50s. Yeah, yeah. And he said George Formby was sitting in front with his banjo uke playing away and like dazzling everything with his, you know, his right hand was just, just rumpity bump bump. And, uh, and, uh, every so often, Les is watching this guy and every so often a hand would go through, he'd finish the song, a hand would go through and hand him another uke. Yeah. And, uh, and Les just, just couldn't work out what was going on. Then he realized, that George didn't play many chords, and all he did was he was in changing keys. He got just ukuleles in different keys, and it was just that his rhythm hand was everything. And yeah, that's so. That's I just love that kind of that sort of stuff. But uh, but I was you know I the old seventy eights that you got in Australia didn't really have. You did have some Hawaiian players, but it was tended to be um, more American or English versions of right. Hawaiian stuff yeah. on the seventy eights. But you can't occasionally you would get you know, Solo Wappy or somebody like that, yeah. but I, or King Benny or something like that. But mm. the, mostly they were kind of commercialized versions of Hawaiian, which were very good as well. Yeah. I loved them anyway. So, um, so, uh, yeah, so, so I'm probably digressing for you a lot, but anyway, oh, right. but anyway, yeah, the, you, you, I just was in love with the Yuka very early when I just heard it, but I didn't hear anyone play. Until I, you know, picked up the youth myself and mm. then I got, you know, just kind of self-taught and then, then came across Les Adams later on and a couple of years down the track and, and then he started showing me Hawaiian strums and all these things and I thought, this is great. Well, that's it. I mean, when you picked it up in, what, late 60s, 70s, I guess? Was it uh, early 70s, early 70s, yeah, early yeah. 70s. Um, obviously there wasn't much ukulele happening. Why did you decide to sort of go totally against the grain, against rock and punk and... Well, uh, I didn't, I wasn't going, it was just a deliberate decision. I just loved 20s and 30s music. My, my grandparents were vaudeville and my mother's brothers were singers, but my brother, my mother loved Fats Waller. And I was, I loved Fats Waller, even though I couldn't play the piano, uh, even though my grandfather did, but I, I fell in love with the 20s, 30s things at a very early age. Um, and, and so, uh, so when I formed a band, I, I formed a band at high school that called the Jelly Bean Jug Bank, and but it was, I couldn't play anything, so I played washboard and jug, but, you know, they were kind of makeshift instruments, and I found I had a natural thing for it, and I knew I could sing, so uh, so I did that, and my brother started harmonica, and so 
So, you know, the uke was kind of the next jump from not being able to play any, oh, I could just play percussive or jug improvised instruments. The uke is so accessible and, uh, and I was already in love with it anyway. So yeah. it was just a natural progression. Yeah. I've heard your, your grandparents were Watervillians, I guess. Yes. Uh, well, my grandfather was and yeah. his southern brothers and sisters were. So right. great aunts and great uncles so, so and things. What, what was their speciality or? They... Uh, my grandfather was, there's a, I'll show you a photo yeah. of him. He's, uh, oh, well, this, uh, uh, up here. Yeah. He's the Wizard of the Wurlitzer. He was the, here he is at the State Theatre. Wow. Playing the, the Wurlitzer. That's him there. That's terrific. With his band. And there, that's the Wizard of the Wurlitzer. And, uh, whereas, these, the, these are my great aunts and uncles playing, a, like, like a jug band in the backyard of a house in Melbourne or something wow. like that. But, uh, he was at the, at the State Theatre in Sydney, though, my, my, Man Aaron's, and uh, I was born Aaron's, double A R O N S, you know. Oh, right. um, but my father changed his name. My father's name was Conway Aaron's, and he changed his name to James Conway because he felt discriminated for being a Jew, and yet he wasn't a Jew. His right. father was a Jew. Was you have to be. You have to go through the maternal side. Yeah, so yeah. his father was a Jew, but his mother was. We don't even know what she was, but we. My grandmother was. We think she's a gypsy. We for a long time thought she was Aboriginal, but really? we think now that she's Gypsy. Uh, okay, but uh, so it's a long story. We are still not absolutely still sure, not sure what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, so Manny Aarons was played with Maureen and all those early Australian. Mm. My father's godfather was Stiffy, Stiffy and Mo, um, and um, my um, anyway, my. Yes, so there was this vaudeville side of the family, and the, the great aunt, my Adelaide, Addie, she was a tap dancer and used to tap dance on points of all things. And I had another great aunt, Isla, who used to play in the vaudeville shows as a, as a child. Yeah. Uh, up till the age of 37, she played the part of a child because she was tiny. And wow. then, and she lived to the age of 104, ironically. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so. And were they all based in Sydney or Melbourne? Yeah, they were all based, well, Sydney. in Sydney and then, uh, uh the, uh, the aunts moved to Melbourne later on, yeah. Okay. And I was born in Sydney and raised, but raised in Melbourne. I moved to Melbourne when I was very young. Right. Yeah. So I just had that, that love of that kind of wacky kind of, kind of 20s, 30s kind of novelty music because I was collecting the old 78s, not because of my grandfather or anything, but just because I loved it. You know, it's just, I don't yeah. know what happened there. Uh, uh, let's well, totally do it. What do you think makes the ukulele so perfect for Waterville? Well, it's got a happy sound. I mean, even though you can play sad tunes on the uke. Yeah. I guess Waterville, uh, as a rule, is, is a happy kind of... Yeah, it tended to be... Up positive. And, yeah, positive, thing. yeah. And it suits that kind of swing kind of rhythmic kind of flavors and, and mm. syncopations and things like that that you, you know, that you get with that era from the 20s and 30s era it's the great yeah. the golden age for me <laughs> how important is the uke now then to the national junk band for instance oh oh yeah it's important um i i'm uh well there's phil donison who you know and he's he's he loves the uke um i play a little bit of uke in it but i'm more more playing saw these days much more yeah. Um, but, uh, I also have the tenor guitar, the national tenor guitar, which is like a big ukulele anyway, the four string, yep. four string, uh, 
now. Is that tune DGBE? Yeah, it is now. When I first started playing, it was CGDE, like a CGDA, like a tenor banjo, which I do play, but not very well either. Um, But uh, having said that, uh, yeah, so, but I now tune it like, because I just, I started jumping, I started playing uh, banjo shapes on, 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 with the uke, with the uke tuning and the vice versa I was thinking oh no this is not right so I just simplified it you know yeah, this is yeah. a, some people just are just natural I'm not I'm a plotter well now we're in kind of the, well, what I've deemed and other people have as well the third wave of ukulele you know the first was being the 15s to the 20s and then second 50s to the early 60s with TV and Arthur yes. Godfrey and all these people yeah. uh, now because of the internet really yeah. Um, do you think, has that impacted on your career? You know, has it given you more opportunities? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Not a lot. I don't, I get a few ukulele festivals and things like that, but, uh, the ukuleles become kind of more acceptable. I mean, when I was doing, playing ukulele in the seventies, people were going, you know, what's that? You know, you've, you know, guitar that you put in the washing machine and it shrunk or something you know there's all these jokes about it but you know they, they didn't get it you know and they were kind of oh this is a wacky kind of oddball though you know so it's less oddball now so it's much more a little bit more mainstream which is quite good in a way but um at the same time less novelty i suppose but mm. i don't worry about that but it hasn't really because uh, i'm not a specialist ukulele player and i'm not a red hot player anyway uh it just it's been the great thing about the ute for me is I'm a singer and it's mm. the fantastic support for the voice. It's just perfect you know, for that. And so, and you can travel with it so easily, you know, you don't have to, you know, you can, I mean, when I just been to Germany yeah. and I, I was able to take it on the, on board in the plane and yeah. at no, even, I, even with my carry on luggage, you could still bring the ute, you know, so sure, that's brilliant, you know, yeah. I think, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, uh, no, it's, it's, Good in every way, you know, but, uh, yeah. Speaking of the 70s, um, did you ever meet Tiny Tim when he was out here? Touring? I did. I played, so you, I performed yes, with I him. With Martin Sharp. And with Martin, I, I played at Martin's, uh, funeral. Right. At, at the, at the St Andrews Church in Sydney. Yes. He asked me because I went down with Tango, my, one of my daughters who was doing HSC at the time and she was doing portraits of artists. And so for her HSC and I knew Martin, Martin, I, my first gig in Sydney from coming up from Melbourne mm. with the Captain Matchbox Whoopie Band was at the Yellow House, which was this legendary uh, place in King's Cross, which we lived and spent you know, a couple of weeks there. Right. And so I knew Martin from that. And and, yeah. and, and, I, and also I discovered in the 60s when I was at school, Tiny Tim, because I didn't think anybody played that sort of music in those days. It was all Rolling Stones and Beatles and things like that, which I, you know, I didn't, I thought they were good too, but I, Suddenly there was this guy playing songs from the turn of the century right through to the 30s and 40s and 50s. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, and he was brilliant voice and he had this rich, people only know him for his falsetto, but he had this incredible rich um, baritone voice. And uh, I just, I just loved what he did in his first album. I discovered his first album, which is called God Bless Tiny Tim. And right to me, it was like Sergeant, most people, a life changing thing was seeing it, hearing Sergeant Peppers. And it was a very good album, but to me, it was God bless Tiny Tim. There was no God bless Tiny Tim, was it? No, and, <laughs> no, and I hear, and yeah, of course, yeah, I know I was a big fan of Tiny's, but in the eighties and nineties, we got to play with Tiny a few times and I got to meet him 
a number of times. He was very eccentric and very silly. Um, and he was, he was a bit like, he, he was a bit of a faker with his youth, though. He was a, he'd, uh, he'd do, he just, he's very good though. He's a real, I'm not, I'm not trying to put him down, but he, we had to kind of, fortunately I didn't have to keep up with him in the courts. We just, we had to actually accompany him at the Paddington Town Hall once and that was, mind-boggling unfortunately I had some really good musicians because we, he would just take off and he would just go from one song to the next to the next to the next and you and just didn't name the key or anything he, no rehearsal you didn't rehearse with him and so, so you just, he, he, he refused to rehearse or that's just not his style it's not his thing but he and you just had to keep up with him you just had to lug yeah. behind him and <laughs> fortunately I was just on those gigs I was playing sort of washboard and kazoos and things like that and I, yeah. I could easily you know because most of it was in 4-4 it was pretty easy but the, the guitarists and the bass players and all the, they all had to kind of keep up well, it, was, it would work though but uh he was very massive contradictions as a person oh yeah how was he to to deal with apart from the professional he was lovely but you know he was so eccentric (laughs) i'm just reading this book about it's called eccentropedia which is all about the eccentrics of of the world you know it's the most interesting people in the world it says that's what it says and there are some pretty bizarre ones but tiny zim is right in there (laughs) because when he was into i mean he was he was like a sleazeball at the same time as being, you know, Very religious. And, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Quite, and yet he was Jewish. And, and you think, oh, my <laughs> it's God. Really, it's a lot going on there, wasn't there? Well, Martin also was a big supporter of you lately, wasn't he? Because, I mean, you did a lot of Tiny. And- yeah, no, he absolutely, he was Tony's, Tiny's, um, uh, mentor muse. He, yeah. he did support him a lot. I mean, he, yeah. it, I mean, in Australia, brought him out and, you know, and all that. And it blew a lot of his money on, Tiny's some of his projects didn't make money they lost money yeah, yeah. a lot um, but he just loved Tiny but he knew I loved Tiny and I, and I wasn't trying to butter up to him I already had known and so uh, he was uh, he got me to sing when he was dying in his last year he had emphysema and he, uh, he got me to come down and play ukulele and he got me to sing at his funeral he asked me to sing Over the Rainbow um, which I did, and I was I was honoured to do that. And it's a beautiful song, it is. and uh, it's got. I love the verse on it, so I insisted on doing the verse, and I love that's what I liked about Tiny too. He did a lot of verses mm. of songs mm. that I'd, I'd never heard the verse. You, know, you hear these dance band things, and they would just play they the chorus, just do, yeah, 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 in the middle, one verse, and that's <laughs> it. And, that's it. Yeah. and uh, but he did, he did, you know, like uh, I'd never heard, I'd never heard uh, the verse of. Um, as time goes by, until I heard Tony Zim mm. sing that. Maybe I haven't ever heard that either. <laughs> well, it's a great, it's a great <laughs> verse, and there's so many of them that he. Anyway, so yeah, no, I love Tony. Tony Tim was a big influence when I was a school kid. You know, yeah. I suddenly discovered because I was already collecting seventy eights, and I suddenly discovered, oh, you know, you can actually play this music, and people will like it because he was he was a big star. Mm-hmm. What about any other uh, historical players who did you? Uh, that I li- listen to. to and like, yeah, you play. Well, later, later, later on, on yeah. you know, the, 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 you know, um, those, a lot of those Hawaiian players. Um, Azo Bell blew me out when I, he, he. When did you first hear Azo? I saw him in 1988. I was at the Brisbane Commonwealth Games Expo or whatever it was. And he was playing at the festival and we were playing at the festival and, I didn't know. I'd never, never heard of him, but he, he just, he blew me away. I thought, you are incredible. So, uh, yeah, so I 
very and formed a friendship with him and he's recorded on all, you know, just about all the junk band albums since um, and I love what he does so uh, yeah I, I'm just trying to think the other youth players that I you well, know, let me put it into a question if you could record a duet with any youth player living or dead who would you choose oh <laughs> or if you could you know get him to play on a, a junk band Oh, yes. Ah, uh, gee, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I'd love, I mean, George Formby because of his rhythm playing, but, um, yeah, gee, uh, I mean, Ukulele Ike also. So I didn't hear Ukulele Ike until the vinyl came in. So Ukulele Ike is one of my favourite performers of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, cause I love his singing as well as his, yeah, and he's another voice. one who does the yeah. verses. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, Ukulele Ike, cause he's like you, he can, he can, do rhythm stuff that's fantastic, but he also can switch to playing, you know, melodies and notes and he's, he's really accomplished and, uh, you know, I mean, he's had a tragic life, of course, but yeah, ukulele Ike, I guess if I'd had right. a, if you chance, had to choose, I had to choose it would be <laughs> ukulele Ike. Uh, but I didn't even know when I was a kid here, well, I, I didn't have any recordings of him. I only discovered him in the early seventies when I had vinyl mm-hmm. recordings and there were reissues of stuff and and then i discovered he was the one who was singing you know when you wish upon a star on yeah, disneyland I was thinking, yeah. oh my god <laughs> you know that's the <laughs> same guy <laughs> yeah yeah um well getting back to ukes themselves you're obviously are you a soprano man sort of through and through yeah yeah i mean i do like the. Because i've got the tenor guitar which is yeah. like a big uke anyway so yeah. i suppose that's a bit like a baritone uke in the way it kind of it's it's sort of uh tones but but uh no i love the soprano i don't i Lots of people can vary all their kind of ukes, but they, mm. I don't want it to sound like a guitar unless it has to be a guitar, like <laughs> the tenor, the tenor guitar I loved. Oh, when I was in Captain Matchbox, Dave Hubbard owned that guitar and I was in, I was in lust with it as soon as he seen him play it because he could play it really well. But so he, did you he, buy that? Exactly? I bought it off yeah. him because he was decided to drop out and become a teacher. And he wanted to sell some of his instruments. Drop out of the real, drop out real of the music work. industry and yeah. get a real job. <laughs> um, so he, he, he knew that I was in lust with it. So he rang me up from Melbourne. I was in Sydney at the time. And, oh, no, I was in Melbourne. Actually, no, I was in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he, he sold it to me for 800 bucks. And then Bob Brosman tells me that that particular model yeah. of national tenor guitar is the special 97 or 6 or something and it's like incredibly rare and Bob Brosman had Worth never watching. seen one oh god had never seen a, a, oh, a seen that it. special particular and didn't believe Phil told him I had it because Phil was working with him film went with to New Guinea with him to film stuff in New oh. Guinea and, and and Phil said no Mick's got one and he said I don't believe it but then <laughs> he saw <laughs> he it he actually saw it yeah and wow. it's not, it wasn't in great condition when Hug gave it to me it was unplayable right. the neck was broken and you know, yeah, there was all kinds of things wrong still. with it but I got it fixed yeah. you know right. now I love it even though I'm just a plotter but you know, at least it's being used rather than not being yeah, yeah, on yeah. a wall and, well that's clearly yeah. your favourite guitar then uh, do you have a favourite uke? Uh, the Martin I still got the Martin. So it's the, the one you got. The one I got in the seventies. I've still got that. It's just is it it's, a style O Martin. It's the so whatever the simplest one is. Yeah. It hasn't got like hasn't got so pearl inlays. Mahogany. Yeah, that's yep. right. Yeah, yeah. style O. Yeah. yeah, I think I've seen it. You've seen it. Yes, yeah. it's. Oh, they're great. It just sounds beautiful, and it and also when you record with it, it doesn't see the Camelot. I can't record with that because they. You push your finger down on it and it goes out of tune. Yeah. Well, sort of, it does, it's possible in a, in a live situation, but yeah. you know, recording, you can't do it. So, yeah. uh, so, uh, yeah, so I love that the Martin's just got a lovely warm tone. I just love it. So. What about songwriting? 
Do you use the uke to do yeah. songwriting? Or? I do. Yeah. Uh, or the tenor. Um, yeah. And uh, but mostly, I tend um, that's I tend to write with other people because I do occasionally invent little melodies and things like that. But I mm. I, I write in the idiom of the twenties and thirties anyway musically. Right. Uh, that's my head is still there, yeah. and even ly- but lyrically, I make it a bit more contemporary, of course. But um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I, I do write with the uke. I like mm. yeah because it's just it's so just easy, accessible once again, and uh, and I can just yeah it supports the voice so beautifully. So mm. yeah, what's your favourite tune to play on a uke? Um, just sitting around, you know, having a tea and playing uke. Uh, probably well. There was an old 78 record called If I Can't Havana in Cuba, I Think I'll Siesta in Spain. And I like playing that. Really? I like, cause it's got that, that Brazil riff. Dun, 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 dun. You can do that really easy on the uke, I've discovered. Yeah. So, and it's got that, they've obviously stolen that riff from them. And, uh, but the, but the song is not, was one of the first 78s ever got, which was had a silly, silly lyric, you know, and the title is just so good. I thought, well, uh, well, you know, that's, so I do like, I like playing that one because it's, it's very, it has only got about seven or eight chords and easy to work out. I was able to work it out pretty quickly and, uh, and stick in the riff and I'm thinking, this is fun. <laughs> and it's rhythmically. That's really awesome nice. about, isn't it? Yeah. Fun. What about the wiggles? You've done a lot of uke work. With the Wiggles? Uh, no, not much uke work. Not much uke work. Uh, I have done so, a little bit of uke work and a little bit of harmonica with them, but okay. they have a higher opinion of me as a musician than I warrant. <laughs> uh, but having said that, I think, they think I'm really, I think they got mixed up with my brother because my brother's <laughs> a very good harmonica player, but they thought That's I was true. a very good harmonica player, but I'm not. But uh, I have, what I did with the Wiggles is I've got this washboard which is full of silly noises and things. And so I, I've recorded with them with that and done a little TV show. They've got their own kind of TV thing and all that. I haven't done the Wiggles for a few years though, and since I've got the new broom, yeah, the new lineup, yeah, I haven't totally, done that. Yeah. But I, you were there the main, the golden, the golden I was there era. at the start and I, they got me to, I was for 20 years the, the voice of Wags the Dog. 20 years? 20 years. Oh. Well, yeah, they've well, been going that long. long. <laughs> they've been going, they've been going 27 or something, a really long wow, time. That's crazy. And, uh, yeah, that Wags the Dog. I was the, the I was, I've been Wags the Dog, but it's until they got the new broom in. And so they don't, they're doing it all in house now, but they used to get me into bark into a microphone <laughs> we, we, when he, when, when Wags didn't have a, when he when couldn't speak. And then eventually he did speak, but you know, but it, it took a long t- number of years. So I used to have these ridiculous recording sessions at the Wiggles where, they would get me, I'd be barking emotions and sounds and responses to things that they had. And, and then they would just put them into their shows or their TV or whatever they did. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was my claim to fame was the voice <laughs> of Wags the, the dog. Yeah. But, um, but I did, I didn't really play. I think I might've played Uke on one song for them. And I think that's all I did. So I've got one more question. It's a complete this sentence. Play the ukulele because. Oh. <laughs> Well, there could be an out multitude of reasons. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because it makes me happy. But that's a really droll, die <laughs> to you can cliche always... kind of answer. Right? <laughs> oh, gee, you got me there. <laughs> that's, the, I mean, that's the that's the truth. <laughs> well, uh, that's a good one. It's, that's it's fine. Pretty, yeah, because I love it. Yeah, I, oh, I, there you go. Because I love the sound. I love yeah. the I love the uke. Yeah, and. Uh, 
I mean, I've got some bad jokes, but you, you've probably heard well, give, them. Give us one. Give us. Well, one of them was you know, it's the missing link between music and noise. <laughs> you know, people like that one. And that one, in, uh, that all, was one I could They all work with banjos as I well. I could then. tell that in Germany. Yeah. And they could, they got and it. They got because it. Because they you tell it very slowly. Yeah. And they, they, if they could speak in English, they got it. So yeah, yeah. Well, you can't play, you can't do puns. It's not a pun. So, so they got that. And the, and the other one is, it's the, um, it's the, oh, it's the, uh, the cane toad of the music industry. <laughs> <laughs> it is now. And people get shocked. And go, <laughs> yeah. oh, you must hate it. And I go, no, I love it. But you got to, you got to make fun you of yourself. Have it. You got to have it. I do that when I'm holding it. the uke. I say, exactly. it's the cane toad of the music industry or, or, or in, um, I think other places I say the cockroach or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because they don't. Because it's so ubiquitous. Now, because, only that's, well, that's because it. there's so many people that are now playing it. Yeah. But as we said before, you know, it's getting people into music, isn't it? That's it is. It's, a, it's an avenue. And you can't be upset about that. No, I'm not. I love it. I just, I, 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 even, even when they're playing, you know, crappy Rolling Stone songs on, on the uke and when it should be played on the guitar, I still think, no, nah, this is good. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, so many older people as well getting into it. And yeah, people Helping them. It must be before. staving off dementia and all sorts of things. Yeah. You? That's terrific. Populate the world with ukulele players, that's what I say. <laughs> well, that's great. All right, thanks, thanks very much. Well, there you have it, the fabulous Mick Conway. If you'd like to find out more about Mick and where he'll be playing, check out his website at mickconway.com. And you might also like to get your hands on a copy of the terrific book, Captain Matchbox and Beyond, The Music and Mayhem of Mick and Jim Conway, which is available now. To take us out... Here's Mick Conway's National Junk Band with Wicky Wacky Woo. Until next time, keep on strumming. Ocean blue. Don't wanna do the hula hula. Wanna wicky wacky woo with you. No need to play my ukulele under a palm tree like they do. Although I like a good lay, I like to say, wanna wicky wacky woo with you. Wicky wacky woo, wicky wacky woo. I'd like to canoodle with you. Wicky wacky woo, wicky wacky woo, would you like to canoodle with me too? If you like me like I like you like, we like to linger, it's true. Do wanna go to Hawaii? Wanna wicky wacky woo with you? I wanna love ya, wicky wacky woo with you.